0: Welcome to At the Table, Christian Community for the Common Good, a podcast for folks curious about the church's call to be faithful neighbors in the places where they live and worship. I'm your host, Nicholas Tangen. Thanks for being here. Now, pull up a chair and let's talk about what's possible when neighbors come together at the table.
1: And I wanted to find a way to empower and encourage ministry leaders um, that was based on this idea that God's spirit is already present and active in your place. And, and, you know, I that that your work is to Mm -hmm. drill down deeply into the soil where you're planted, to tap into the living water that's already bubbling up there in that place. You already have what you need to do this work. God's equipped you to do this work the way you can with your people in your place.
0: Today's episode is a conversation with my friend Jeremy Myers, the Christensen Chair of Religion and Vocation at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Jeremy's been a religion professor for a lot of years and found his way into this work through youth ministry. In this conversation, we talk about a framework for public church and the power of learning rooted in individual experience. Jeremy is a thoughtful and passionate leader and he challenges us in the church to decide if we are about the domestication of an institution or the liberation of the gospel. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Professor Jeremy Myers. All right, Jeremy. Welcome uh, to at the table. Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. Uh,
0: so, uh, I would love for you to just introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us about your uh, your work, uh, which you know is in the academy, but is also around Christian community. So, I'd love to hear a little bit about what Christian community has and does mean to you as well.
1: Sure. Well, first, I I, I want to say that I actually really am sitting at a table. So beautiful. Me too. Yeah. All right, so that. we really we really are at we're at, we're at different tables at the same yeah, time. We're at the tables. The tables. Yes.
0: Yeah. I like it.
1: Um, so, what is Christian community for me? Yeah, and tell us a little bit about you and your work. Um I uh, am a religion professor at Augsburg University. I'm the Christensen. Uh, professor, the endowed Christensen professor of religion and vocation at Augsburg University in Minneapolis. Been there about 16 years. Um, I was hired there um, 16 years ago to oversee their youth and family ministry undergraduate degree program. Mm-hmm. So I I came into the academy via youth ministry um, and youth work. Really, I always considered myself a youth worker, not a youth minister. Um I uh, had gone to the University of Minnesota and studied child psychology and um, youth studies and was very interested in being a youth worker, but I did not want to work in the church. Um, I took a one-year interim gig right out of college at a church, um, doing some middle school ministry and then running their after-school program, which was for the local middle school. And I was like, I can do this for a year. <laughs> I can do anything for a year, and so yeah. I did it for a year, and that was twenty-five years ago. Um, wow! And uh, I just kind of fell in love with youth ministry because it allowed mm-hmm. me to it allowed me to do youth work, and it allowed me to easily talk with young people about um, bigger things, God, yeah. the universe why are we here um what is my purpose on this planet it gave me a really okay. easy way to do that
0: um with so, middle school and with middle schoolers nonetheless like with, yeah that's people at their messiest
1: <laughs> people middle schoolers on the basketball court or middle uh, schoolers around the foosball table or middle schoolers around um math homework that i could barely mm. even remember how to do myself so <laughs> and and it was sort of those I mean, it was really there where I fell in love with this idea of public church, really, mm-hmm. um, a church existing for the sake of the neighbors mm-hmm. and for their actual real lived needs, rather mm-hmm. than a church existing for um, its own longevity mm-hmm. or, um, or its own um, sustainability. Right. right. The, 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 the after school program that I ran there was 100 percent for the community. And uh, we had this amazing group of senior citizen retired folks uh, mm-hmm. volunteering there. And every now and then someone would say, we really should be doing some kind of Bible study here at this after school program. We re- we really should turn it into a tutor- tutoring program or some kind of faith okay. formation program. And, and this um, collection of retired folks who were volunteers, the ones who really started that program, were like, no, that's not what it's here for. This is a place for young people to come after school and blow off steam for two hours. And we're here to just get to know them, keep them safe, you know, engage with them. And it was really lovely. And um that's where I really sort of fell in love with this idea of the church existing primarily for the neighbor and their well being. Um, yeah. um and so Christian community then, um for me has always been um not a not never a static thing like i i've never been able to say this church is my christian mm-hmm. community or this group of people are my christian community mm-hmm. i think i understand christian community as um the people the pl- and i'm talking st- Purely selfishly, right now, this is one hundred percent subjective.
0: <laughs> totally, Christ, yeah. B- Christian.
1: To okay, <laughs> Christian community for me has always been the people, the places, the things that were pulling me out of myself, so that I was more um, connected to the mm-hmm. world and simultaneously opening up the uh, the depth of me so that mm-hmm. I was more rooted in, in myself. Right. Um, and, and I've had friends who do that. I have friends who do that sometimes and not all the times I have <laughs> strangers who do that. I, yep. uh, there are trails. I love to hike that do that for me. Mm-hmm. Bodies of water. I love to paddle on that do that for me music that I love to listen to, that musicians who I don't know who do that for me, books I read that do that for me. And so Christian community has never been a, I've never been able to say these people are my Christian community. I might say these people at times are part of my Christian community, but I think about Christian community much broader than that as the people, the places, the things that keep me in touch with this Universal cosmic vibration that we call this life for- force that we call God in our tradition.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you you've got this um, um, you've got this kind of broad understanding of of Christian community, which I think is beautiful. And it seems like your your own personal theology is so deeply rooted in the neighbor, the sense mm-hmm. of the neighbor, which mm-hmm. which in my mind is so rooted in place. And so I wonder how you think about that, um, that relationship between, you know, Christian community as this kind of emergent, um, moving, moving thing, but also rooted very concretely and contextually in the neighbor.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of gets at the you can only knew the, know the universal through the particular, you mm-hmm. know, and um, so all of those things that I mention are. It sounds very abstract and universal, but they're always things that I'm experiencing immediately and physically in my body. Right. And so it's the people right here, right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the grove of trees right here, right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this person I'm reading right here, right now. It's this stranger I've encountered right here, right now, or it's these streets. It's this neighborhood. It's, it's the collection of institutions in this small geographic space that we call Mm -hmm. a neighborhood. Um, that, um, that, so it, 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 yeah, it sounds transcendent and universal, but it's actually really very particular in Mm -hmm. that it's, it's what's present to me right there. And then.
0: Yep. I was talking to somebody the other day about, um, kind of, National political organizing work, and you know how do you how do you think about the relationship between the hyper local political work and the national work? And mm-hmm. and was realizing similar to what you were just saying, like the more um, the more particular I get, the more local I get, uh, the the better I understand the the larger issue. You know, mm-hmm. but if I start mm-hmm. at the larger issue, it's often harder for me to understand how that's showing up particularly in the neighborhood. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. We had a um, we had your colleagues uh, Christina Frugier and um, uh, Joffrey were on with us a few episodes ago, handful of episodes ago, talking to us about the Riverside Innovation Hub, which is um, a project that you've also uh, been in leadership of for for some time through uh, Augsburg. And you said a little bit about the inspiration uh, around public church, but what was it that that kind of motivated you to? In particular, work with a handful of churches to step beyond the walls of their sanctuaries
1: well I, I have to go back to the the first ex, the first time I became aware of this inclination within me was when I was serving the first church I served, mm-hmm. and I was constantly driving around or walking around the neighborhood where the church was located, wondering what we could what could we do here, what could we mm-hmm. do here what? and i didn 't understand the impulse that was behind that. And I still don't really know what, you know, I didn't necessarily ever experience a church in that way. So, um, I was just really drawn personally to public spaces and, Mm -hmm. um, and the more I, and I think also my training in youth studies, particularly, Mm -hmm. um, which was really, um, grounded in experiential education and, um, popular education, kind of Paulo Freire, um, Paulo Freire's work. Um, this idea that um, education, and I would say therefore also discipleship, is mm-hmm. always either for domestication or liberation. Mm. And I, um, I very much experience the church as being primarily about domestication Mm -hmm. and therefore it's not about liberation. I think I don't for, and this is where I'll get a little cynical and I'm going to make some sweeping generalizations. And I I know this isn't true for everyone and I'm grateful (laughs) that it's not true for everyone, but I think in general, the church is way Mm -hmm. more concerned about domestication than liberation. And um, so I began trying to figure out what would it look like um, if, if ministry were actually about liberation and mm-hmm. if ministry actually started in people's lived experience rather than starting in um, the confessions of a denomination or of a local congregation or um, scripture. What if we started with people's lived realities, their, their joys and their struggles and their big questions and their big ideas? And 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 helped them think theologically about mm-hmm. those. And, and through that process, we start introducing to them um the biblical narrative and mm-hmm. confessions of faith that might actually help them mm-hmm. shine a new light on their big ideas, their big questions, their joys, their sorrows. Mm-hmm. Um and Um, And I was particularly interested in how do you do this with young people? That's where I started and then quickly came to realize that you can't do that with young people only in a congregation because you will always have this glass ceiling of uh, the low expectations that are driven by the spirituality of the adults in that congregation And so if the spirituality and the expression of faith among the adults in the congregation is all about domestication, then it's going to be really hard to do ministry with young people that's really about liberation without breaking that glass ceiling of low spiritual expectations. So I started to realize you really needed to do this work with with the entire congregation. Um, and as this idea was starting to come into fruition more in my head, as far as like the theological, uh, foundations for it were, were there and were clear, Mm -hmm. there were theoretical foundations. There were just, as I started to think more and more about it, it was just obvious that this was something that needed to be pursued, Uh, educational theory, theory about how people are formed, how they learn, how community is formed, all seemed to back this approach. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the theological um, uh, work that was coming around God's relationality Mm -hmm. um, was uh, grounding this work. So it seemed to me like a no-brainer to go after this. And I felt like as an academic, I was at a place where I had to choose mm-hmm. between closing my office door and writing <laughs> writing a book yep, that, yep. that none none of us need. <laughs> um that a book that I'd love to have published. Totally. But none of us really need. Um I had to choose between base for it right up there. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I know. I know I <laughs> know. I know. Um I had to choose between doing that or trying to flesh this out with, with ministry practitioners, pastors, lay leaders who Mm -hmm. were doing this work on, on a regular basis and, and, and volunteers. And so, um, so I went looking for some money that would allow us to experiment with some of these things and, and fine tune our theory Mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, and so we we received a grant that then allowed us to convene congregations around this work, and and we've been really intentional since we implemented this six or seven years ago, um, mm-hmm. to position ourselves as conveners rather than consultants. So yeah. we we're gathering people around a common concern, like. Mm-hmm. We we want to gather congregations and ministry leaders together who are curious about how we how do we do ministry in a way that prioritizes the neighbor and the neighborhood over worship and, mm-hmm. um, you know, faith formation. Or I don't even want to say that I would say, you know, the internal workings of a congregation. What would it right. look like right. so that so that um, faith formation the first step of faith formation is a step outward. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would it look like uh, to do this work? And rather than us, it's sort of dictating that or perfecting it in private and then trying mm-hmm. to teach it to people. We started gathering community, learning communities together where mm-hmm. where they could chase after it together and we could just kick the idea around together and they could right. try some things out and, and share with one another about what works mm-hmm. and what doesn't work.
0: Yep. Nice. I love that.
1: That's a long yeah. answer to your question but I think I got back to your question <laughs> I think I got that. Back you back. did,
0: absolutely. Well, and I mean it's just it's modeling the exact kind of um learning and education style that that would that had been so meaningful and inspiring to you, right? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean like it it felt uh, inauthentic. It would be inauthentic to say come to me and I am now going to use the banking method to teach you how to do, <laughs> you know, grassroots, yep. you know, yep. discernment of ministry. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It, and, and there are days where I wish I could just do it that way.
0: For sure. You oh know, like God. how, yeah. how
1: you know, like so many of us um, were, you know, raised on sitting at the feet of yep. wise elders. and yep. And I do yep. still yep. think that, and yeah and i do still think there's a place for that absolutely mm-hmm. um but i think i think what another another motivation i'm just thinking of this now another thing that really mm-hmm. motivated me towards towards this work was when i was first in ministry i felt like i was trying to learn how to do my job and i was going to workshops and mm-hmm. trainings and seminars and conferences and I, and i felt like all i was doing was sitting at the feet of the experts who yep. had already figured out how they would do it right yep. and then the, and now they wanted to tell us here 's how I did it yep. um, and, and i don 't think they were being arrogant, I think they were actually trying to be helpful, but I would leave there feeling like that's how they would do it, but i can't do it that way either because mm-hmm. i don't have that skill set or because i don't have those resources or because my context is really different yep. and and I wanted to find a way to empower and encourage ministry leaders um that was based on this idea that god's spirit is already present and active in your place and, yeah. and you know i that that your work is to mm-hmm. drill down deeply into the soil where you're planted to tap into the living water that's already bubbling up there in that place. You yep. already have what you need to do this work. Mm-hmm. God's equipped you to do this work the way you can with your people in your place. Um yep. and, and so we've never wanted to position ourselves as consultants where we come mm-hmm. in and say, we have something you don't have. Yep. yep. But we want to come in as conveners who say you already have everything you need and yep. and we're just going to help you trust that. We're going to yeah. help you find that. We're going to help you hone that.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the in um in the work I do with the Synod. That's some of exactly what we've been um trying to get congregations to think about in the neighborhood as well, right? Like we've been saying all along, you know, the the neighborhood or God doesn't need the church to bring God's self to the neighborhood. God's already there. Right. Our job is to go out and um, and get curious and look for those those moments and those uh, the inbreaking of of God showing up to point at it and to tell the story like Absolutely.
1: that's yeah right. there so, is yeah. still there is still an act of proclamation that happens where exactly. where we point in at, you know it's um, like John the Baptist um, you know says look there's the Lamb of God. You know, it's, it's it's sort of like we get to do that, but, Mm -hmm. um, but our proclamation of it will, will always sound different, you know, based on the situation when we're not going to say, look, there is the lamb of God, but we might say, look, there's a neighborhood garden popping up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Look at this Look at this resurrection happening right here. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John
0: McKnight always says, uh, if you've seen one neighborhood, you've seen one neighborhood and, you know, and I think that's spot on, right? Right. Um, Yeah, particularity matters. Yeah, absolutely. Through his work in the church and in academia, Jeremy has formulated what he calls the public church framework, a praxis that contains four art forms, descriptive qualities of the church engaged in the world accompaniment, interpretation, discernment, and proclamation. This framework guides the learning communities that Jeremy and his colleagues lead at the Riverside Innovation Hub. For Jeremy, these art forms are already at work in the life of the church, but often without the level of intention that can really form our understanding and animate consistent action in the public square. I asked Jeremy to tell us a bit about each of the art forms and where he's seen them at work in the Riverside Innovation Hub learning community. You're saying a little bit about it already, but you know, through through this work, through the Riverside Innovation Hub and your own academic work, you've outlined this framework for public church that consists of what you call art forms. You've got four of these these frames, um, and the way I understand them is that they're they're not prescriptive, but they're descriptive. They're 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 saying this is kind of what public church looks like um, when it's being enacted. Uh, I wonder if you could give us just your 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 quick pitch on, on these four art forms, what, what are they? And, and what's kind of, um, yeah, what kind of defines each one?
1: Yeah. Great. Um, well, the, so the best for those, every, I was going to say for those of you who are listening to this podcast, which I think <laughs> that would be a, pretty much yeah. everyone. <laughs> yeah,
0: everybody else is not listening.
1: It's not listening. Yeah. Right. Um, you can imagine a spiral, right. Or a cycle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or a spiral, um, and really, again, it's, it's, we do like to say it's descriptive and not prescriptive in that it describes mm-hmm. things that you, that every human being does, not just religious folks. Um, mm-hmm. and it descri- it it's basically what we've done is we've ripped off experiential education and popular education and, mm-hmm. um, Practical theology; these are all. This is not new. It's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's it's um, this idea of kind of a what what would be called a a praxis model, a a Mm -hmm. model of practice and reflection, critical Mm -hmm. reflection on practice. Um, And but it starts. uh, Practical theology sometimes starts with the practice of ministry, with theological Mm -hmm. reflection on the practice of ministry. This. So it already assumes ministry. This, yeah. what what we're doing starts with knowing your neighbor. Um, yeah. And so there, there are four, what we call four art forms that kind of spiral into one another mm-hmm. Um and, uh, the first one is a and, and we just kind of gave these theological names, but the first one mm-hmm. is a ac- accompaniment. How do you move into the neighborhood and actually know your neighbor? This is not market research. You're not trying to find out what your neighbor wants from your church. You're yep. just trying to get to know the people who live around your building, the yep. people who work around your building. What are their life stories? What are their joys? What are their fears? What are their mm-hmm. disappointments? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? What do they want out of this community where they are building their lives? So right. the first movement is accompaniment. The second movement or the second art form is interpretation. And this is where we think theologically about what we just heard from our neighbors, where we, we start to take, our th- take the, the, the core things we say are true about God and mm-hmm. wonder if those things are actually helpful for us as we try to understand our neighbor's lived reality right um but it goes both ways so our neighbors lived reality we also have to say how is our how how do the things we've heard from our neighbors how are the things that we've heard from our neighbors pushing back against or Mm. challenging or disrupting the things we've said are true about god right so the the interpretation movement is where you put your neighbor's story and the things you've always thought were true about god Mm. into conversation and right. see what comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just say, my hunch is that God would want you to err in favor of your neighbor, <laughs> versus in favor of God, when you're putting those two narratives into conversation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Um, God can handle us being wrong about God. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't 100%. think God wants us to be wrong about our neighbor
0: yep yep and well and coming uh, we we just come already with our own our own stories about about god that um at least in the interpretation of our our neighbor's story is coming from that direct encounter experience with Mm -hmm. with the neighbor so absolutely that makes total sense
1: yeah and then the third movement out of interpretation is discernment and this is where Mm -hmm. the um Community gathers and wonders. Um, given what we've heard from our neighbor, and given the things we say are true about God, what's our call? What's mm-hmm. the invitation? Right. And this is not decision making, but it's really discernment, um, mm-hmm. where you sit and you listen and you wonder: How is the Spirit inviting? How is the Spirit inviting us to show up? Who is right. the Spirit inviting us to be in mm-hmm. this place for the sake of our neighbor? Um, and then the fourth movement is proclamation where we, where we move back into relationship with our neighborhood, with our neighbors as an expression of good news. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, and it's good news because it's directly related to what we've heard from, from our neighbors. Um, and, and the, we, We we think that these movement, these art forms, this movement, this cycle, this process, is the process we all move through Mm -hmm. on any given day when we're trying to figure out what's the right thing to do in this situation. Right. Right. And we do it quickly, very without thinking about it. And what we want our Christian communities to just do it intentionally Mm -hmm. and to teach their people how to do it intentionally. And if you learn how to do it intentionally as a community you learn how to do it slowly and intentionally as a community, then you'll uh, you can do it quickly. We all do it quickly. We're all able to do it. We do it right now quickly, but we want people to learn how to do it slowly and intentionally um, so that. They're able to do it in their own personal lives too. So, we learn how to do it together in a congregation where our congregations are located so mm-hmm. that the people who are part of this community learn how to do it in their own neighborhoods where they live their lives, in their own jobs where they spend most of their days. Mm-hmm. How, how do we live in relation? How do we live as an expression of the good news? How do we mm-hmm. become an expression of the good news in the lives of our neighbors? Right. And
0: yeah, we and oh, please,
1: I was going to say, and we- I just wanted to say why we call them art forms, I oh, yes. that's yeah. important. People might be wondering why do you call these things art forms?
0: yeah, we
1: call them art forms rather than practices because um in our minds, a practice implies that there's one way to do this thing mm-hmm. um an art form for us means that there an the art form- of, of accompaniment can be practiced. Mm-hmm. It, and, and it can look like lots of different things. Yeah. Um, so if you're a painter and I'm a painter and we're painting next to each other, you might be, you know, going for realism and I might be going for abstract. But we, we might make fun of each other, but yeah. we can't argue with the fact that we're both painters, right? We yeah. both practice the same art form of painting, but it looks so different.
0: Right, Um, And so
1: we use that word intentionally because we want these communities to be able to find their own um, authentic contextual way of practicing that Mm -hmm. particular art form.
0: Yeah. Nice. I love that. That's such a great, um, a a great image of the two different painters. Yeah. And part of what you were saying earlier that I think I was hearing as you were kind of talking through the art forms, too, is that. For for most of us, whether we're in faith communities or not, these are these are art forms that we um we we have some experience with, uh, whether we know it or not, whether we talk about it or not. Right, we've we have experience with accompaniment and interpretation, and even the the Christian Church, I think, has some of the the bones for some of this work, even worked within its its tradition and its liturgy and. Um, uh and so part of the work is reminding folks i feel like that's been true for me too in this kind of calling churches to be the neighbor mm-hmm. is kind of reminding folks you actually a lot of this you do know how to do you just have to do it with that extra level of
1: intention mm-hmm. and attention mm-hmm. right and i mean if we want to teach people how to if we want to teach our people how to move mm-hmm. the world move through the world Theologically minded, yeah, um, then we need to do this intentionally right on honestly, I don't think the neighbor cares whether we're right. doing it you know with any kind of theological yeah. intention or not, right mm-hmm. um, but if we as people of faith, want to mm-hmm. teach want want to encourage one another how to move through how do we move through this world um, with an with the hope. And mm-hmm. the assumption that God is real yeah. and that God is working yep. if if we want to move through this world in a way that hopes that God is actually real, mm-hmm. um, then it requires some intentionality um, right. to, to do that and to learn how to do that yeah. um, but th- really, these movements are kind of non doctrinal right. um, you know the interp- we ask you to interpret what you 're hearing from your neighbor based on what you believe, and so yeah. If you um, would be someone who would say, I don't believe in anything, well, Mm -hmm. then you still probably have a framework that's going to rub up against or highlight what -hmm. you're hearing from your neighbor. And all we're asking people to do is be compassionate, critical Mm -hmm. um, listeners and understanders of their neighbor's lived realities. Yeah. Nice.
0: I love that. Have you seen, so in this work that you've done with the Riverside Innovation Hub and with these congregations, have you seen um, uh, experiences or heard stories of of folks kind of um, suddenly realizing, or maybe not suddenly realizing, but realizing um, that they're practicing accompaniment or realizing that they're practicing mm-hmm. interpretation? Where have you seen those things kind of come up in those particular places or communities?
1: Yeah, I f- in our work um, the accompaniment is always that first step is always like jumping into the cold lake, right? Mm-hmm. Pe- people are um, excited to do it and really nervous to do it and don't realize that they probably already know how to do it. Um, <laughs> and they're afraid that they're going to come across as pushy or, or whatnot. Yep. And so they're, they're always very anxious about doing that until they do it for the first time or until they realize they just did it. Usually usually an encounter happens and they realize afterwards that they had just done some accompaniment. Right. Rarely is it. Uh, it's that seems to be the case more so than them saying, I'm going to intentionally go out and do this now. But, yeah. you know, I think I, I love the mundane stories more than the mm-hmm. heroic the heroic stories, which is good because we don't have many heroic <laughs> stories. <laughs> we don't. We it have a lot of, humble, <laughs> huh? yeah, we have a lot of mundane, a lot of mundane stories. You know, uh-huh. not these big amazing um, victories, but mm-hmm. you know, one, um, one woman in in our project uh, in one of the congregations that just wrapped up with us this summer, told this story. Two, she told r- two really great stories. Um, one, she, it was winter time, and she was driving to church and she saw this woman walking down the middle of the street because the sidewalks were really not shoveled and couldn't walk down the mm-hmm. sidewalk. So she was walking down the street, all bundled up and it was just really cold. And so she stopped and asked if the woman needed a ride. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so the woman said, that'd be great. And, and the the lady from the church said, where are you going? And she said, I'm going to this Presbyterian church right up here. And she said, Oh, that's great. That's where I'm going. That's my church. And she goes, yeah, I've always wanted to check it out. So she drove her to church a couple of blocks. And then they had started having a conversation. She drove her home. And it turns out this woman lives in an apartment complex a couple blocks down from the church. And the mm-hmm. church had been trying to figure out how do we develop a relationship with this apartment complex and the people living there. Yeah. Um, and so it was by a, a simple act of accompaniment.
0: Hi, mm-hmm.
1: hi, neighbor, I'm driving in your direction. Do you need a ride? And right. And then her following that thread, I mean it wasn't just her offering her a ride. She sat right. with her, visited with her, introduced her to people, drove her home, um, asked her when she could see her again, you know, mm-hmm. and just reached out um, to her. And um, she didn't even realize until afterwards that what, what she had done in relationship mm-hmm. to, to the art forms. And right. then the same, same woman. Now you're getting, getting a sense this lady just knows it intuitively. This, this mm-hmm. woman who did these things, she just, It just kind of hospitality just seeps out of her. Um, Right. And um, she and another church member were sitting in their standing in their parking lot, um, chatting outside of one of their cars after a meeting and someone cut through the parking lot and they waved and the person Mm -hmm. just came over and started talking to them. And they had this really long, really amazing conversation because they waved to someone, you know, and that's, um, it's not always that simple. Right. And, 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 and there will be people listening to this podcast who are probably saying, but that's not enough. You have to challenge systems of oppression. Yep. And I, and I agree 100%, but I think challenging those systems of oppression side mm-hmm. by side with our neighbor starts yes. by one of us waving to the other one, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, And, and we, we wave and we make eye contact and we learn a name and we learn a story. And before you know it, we're arm in arm, you know, standing up against these systems of oppression, living as resurrection people. Um, and so we have a gazillion mundane stories of accompaniment like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I find in the, the churches that I spend a lot of time with too, you know, dominant culture, mostly kind of middle-class, upper middle-class, progressive churches. Um, yeah, we want to get at the system stuff and yeah. and yeah. we tend to be really good at that. But I think partially because that, that uh, um, coincides with our existing culture of, you know, trying to be, um, uh, trying to tackle big, complex systems and structures and uh, uh, focusing so much on knowledge and, and information, we struggle with the relational side of things. Mm-hmm. And part of what you were just saying, right. Is like, um, yeah, we can't, we can't do one without the other. We need, right. we need that rootedness in in the, that honest relationship.
1: Absolutely. I, um, well, I'll have to do some homework and get you the name that mm-hmm. I wrote a chapter and I can't, I can't remember the title of the chapter. Yeah. And in, in a book and I can't remember the title of the book there's <laughs> a book is a book in honor of Gary Simpson, who used to be a professor at Luther Seminary mm-hmm. um, and did a lot on public church, public public companionship. And um, I wrote a chapter in that book, kind of um, using some of the work he had done using Jürgen Habermas. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, and, it, and I, I really love it because it gets at this. He talks about you know, the two main seats of power, political and economic, yeah. and how we're so eager, you know, in order to improve people's lives, we're just so eager to engage those seats of power. Yeah. And as white people, and as mm-hmm. two white men here talking yep. about this, we just walk up to those to the front door, yeah. the seats of power, and we say, let me yep. in, Can you know, yep. I'm here to talk to you. And we just assume we have access to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um but there's this whole space in between called civil society, you know, yeah. and 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 the what he calls the life world where people mm-hmm. live their daily lives, where they raise right. their kids, where they get married, where they make love, where they mm-hmm. bury their dead, you yeah. know, where they have barbecues. It's the life world. And right. and and we can go to those seats of power mm-hmm. to make change. And by doing so, we're essentially dehumanizing our neighbor who we think we're there to advocate for, because we've just exactly. skipped over their entire life world. Exactly. And so, so the real work is engaging in the life world. And, mm-hmm. and as we engage in that life world, those relationships and those experiences carry us to those seats of power as community, as united people, um, yep. and not, um, as uh, white savior or, right. People of power people with privilege and power who are completely disconnected from those who they oppress um, mm-hmm. on their way to this on their way to challenge systems yep. right
0: yeah I remember um, when we were one of the churches I was working with um, was just starting to do some, uh, some community organizing around immigration issues um, mm-hmm. right right as Trump was taking office and and we were all gung ho we were gonna you know um, win all these legislative victories and we were going to build this great strategy and we we were meeting for weeks and weeks and realizing that the the immigrant leaders that we were in connection with were you know a little uh a little distant or maybe didn't didn't, didn't feel like they were they were showing up in the same way and we were like what in the world is going on um and so after a while we decided well let's just hit the brakes and let's just have dinner and see what what's happening right and that simple act of just like hitting the pause on trying to get uh trying to solve the problem and instead sitting down and and having dinner entering that uh life space or that um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right um changed everything for mm-hmm. us i mean it suddenly it opened up a space where we could build some trust where we could build some relationship we could get to know one another enough that we could be in the fight together rather than um a you know a white dominant church deciding that they're going to you know win some big victory on behalf of immigrants they don't even know
1: absolutely right?
0: completely yeah. different yeah. shift um mm-hmm. and it all it all just happened at dinner
1: <laughs> <laughs> amazing yeah yeah um adrian marie brown's emergent strategy kind of comes mm-hmm. to mind because some of the things that they lay out in that book i think um are really the principles of emergent strategy are really helpful for challenging um those of us from kind of the white dominant culture, challenging what we think is normal yeah. and you know, or, or what it what has been normal for us. It challenges yeah. Our assumptions that that's normal for everyone, and that that's yeah. best. That's best for it's not even best for us, you know. Right, exactly. Um, and so her, her, it, you know that that book and the principles in that book have been like a really great tool for our team
0: mm-hmm. um, at
1: the Riverside Innovation Hub as mm-hmm. we as we try to embody practices as a staff yep. that reflect um, the spirit that's in, um, what we're trying to teach in the public church, you know, that, you know, slow is, you know, small is all slow is, uh, you know, I, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. I'll slaughter yep. them if I, if I try, but, um, it, it, it really is, um, more about smallness and slowness and, Um, going at it together rather than just trying to accomplish the thing.
0: Often, when congregations talk about community engagement or place-based ministry, the argument in favor is outlined on the basis of the church's self-interest. It can often become a tool for serving anxiety about survival, butts in pews, or dollars raised. But I firmly believe that a church rooted in the freedom of the gospel, engaged meaningfully and mutually in their neighborhood, serves the common good of the community where they are rooted. It matters for the world that the church is engaged and in relationship with their neighbors. I asked Jeremy to reflect on this question and to name his sense of why it matters that the church move beyond their walls and into the public square. Why the church? Why does it? Why does it matter for and not not for the church? And we can talk about that too. But why does it matter for the world that the church be engaged in the public square in the way you're kind of inviting them to? Or does it?
1: Yeah, no. Here and here's where the cynic comes out. Yeah. Um, because the world is burning, hmm. um, literally. And figuratively Mm. because black and brown people are being killed Mm. um, by police are being beat up by groups of white people who own pontoons who don't want to move their boat. Yeah. um, Because. Children still live in poverty and don't have enough to eat mm-hmm. um, because this is the hottest summer on record <laughs> um, um, because all the systems that we, that we built this country on are, 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 are falling apart or maybe have never really worked. Um, they've worked for some, but not for everyone. Right. Um, and, and the church, um, and every single person, just because they're a person needs to be concerned about that. I don't care whether you're at a church or not. Right. Um, right. And so why, why the church? Um, because the church says it believes in resurrection, because the church says it believes in reconciliation because the church says it believes in Jubilee and renewal Mm -hmm. and restoration Mm -hmm. because the church says it has hope um, because the church says it has good news. And most people have not experienced that from the church. And, um, and uh, I feel like the church (laughs) um, has a chance to set aside its agenda of mm-hmm. self of becoming sustainable, yep. Yep. and give itself away for the mm-hmm. sake of the world, give itself right. away for the sake of the well being of the world, for mm-hmm. the sake of the well being of our neighbor, for the sake of the well being of our neighborhoods, mm-hmm. um, that God cares deeply about this physical life that we live yeah. and this physical life that we live is not a test or a training ground for some yeah. perceived afterlife. It yeah. is a, it, this is a real thing that we're living now. Right. Um, and the church has an opportunity to, um, I don't, I'm not trying to say the church has an opportunity to make something happen that only the church can make happen.
0: Yeah, I'm saying the church
1: sure. has an opportunity to join in the work that yep. needs to be done, or the church can continue to sit on the sidelines and but, hope that people will maybe come over and talk to them and pay attention to them <laughs> or they, or they can join in the yep. rebuilding, the restoration, the reconciliation, the mm-hmm. the resurrection. That's, that's going to happen. The resurrection, yep. if, you know, if, God, if God is real, if God's restoration, if Jubilee is real, it's going to happen. And the church can be there with it when it does, or the church can, um, can stay to itself. Right. Um, And so I think that the church has this narrative about, um, promise and brokenness and death and renewal and, um new promises and new brokenness and new death mm-hmm. and new renewal we have this narrative yep. so let's live it let's do that let's not be mm-hmm. afraid to, let's not be afraid to do that
0: yeah yeah you mentioned earlier you you said you know i don't know i don't know that the neighbor cares whether or not we're thinking theological and part of me wanted to say you know i wonder if that's actually true because i think what the neighbor cares about even if they are not people of faith themselves or people of other faiths Um, I think the neighbor still wants a church that has integrity or a church that is not, you know, um, uh, hypocritical, you know, and and so often when you see these polls of, you know, people's reaction to Christianity and in the US, you know, it's um, that that kind of uh, quality of quality <laughs> the hypocritical nature of the church is often like right at the top of the list, and in some ways, I think, yeah, even the the church, whether whether we uh, acknowledge it or not, continues to have a lot of power um, in in a country that has systems that have benefited the church for a long time and um, have also, um, yeah, just moved parallel and and walked alongside the church for a long time and. Um, a church that does believe in resurrection and reconciliation and promise and um, believes that they can give themselves over actually does have the capacity to have a meaningful impact.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I hope so. I also worry that, um, you know, being part of a progressive church Mm -hmm. isn't even enough Um, that I think, I think just the existence of, of the church as an institution Mm -hmm. squelches people's imagination of what's even possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, so I'll get personal here. I'm going to talk about my, my daughter who just this last year went through confirmation and, um, couldn't, uh, so I'm a, you know, been a religion theology professor for 16 years, a youth mm-hmm. ministry guy, my entire life. And my 16 year old is incredibly, ref- my daughter is incredibly reflective and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. She doesn't think she is what she is. Yeah. Um, very deep thinker, very empathetic, um, very aware of the world. Um, and just never really connected with church.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, and we've been at good churches. We've been at good progressive churches mm-hmm. with really good pastors, good worship, good sermons, good theology mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. And and yet she couldn't figure out what to do for her faith statement for confirmation. Mm-hmm. Um she didn't know what to say or what to write. And right. And so then I just started to ask her, where, where do you experience a sense of what you would maybe, what, you know, like maybe you don't even call it God, but where do you experience a sense of this thing that you hear us calling God? you know she's like in music. I'm like, well, then Mm -hmm. write about music. And she Mm -hmm. just felt like she couldn't do that. You know, she, even though my church, my pastors gave her full permission, you write your faith statement the way you want to. Right. No one in her life has ever told her faith has to fit in this box. No yeah. one has ever taught her that. She's never been exposed to that way of thinking about faith. And mm-hmm. yet yeah. she still thought that was the way it had to be. Right. Just because the church exists as this dominant, powerful institution in our world, mm-hmm. people's imaginations of who God is or could be, people's yeah. imaginations of what it means to be faithful, Mm-hmm. Um, are just squelched,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and so then they're left thinking, I must not be religious, or they're left thinking, um, I am definitely not a Christian, Right. Um, because they're, they're pushing back against this um, force that's bigger mm-hmm. than any one congregation, any one denomination, it's bigger yeah. than any Uh, progressive element is just Mm -hmm. this force of what the church has been and what it's done to our culture that limits, that makes people say, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Right. I don't think they're sitting around waiting for a good church. (laughs) You know, they're not, they're not sitting around waiting for the church to make the next right progressive political statement. Yeah. They're done with it you right. know and and they're not necessarily done with god they're not mm-hmm. they're not done wondering about god they're not right. done believing in god they're not done done chasing after god um right. they're not done living lives of meaning and purpose mm-hmm. um but i don't think most people are sitting around waiting for the church to get better right they're, they're kind of done with it and that's my cynical take you know there mm-hmm. there there are other people out there who are ho- more hopeful more positive mm-hmm. about it but Um, I'm not, um, I think God's spirit will continue to find a way to ensure that God's redemptive work Hmm. gets done, gets done. Mm -hmm. And if the church stops doing that, God's spirit will find a new way to do that. Right. Yeah. That's where I find hope.
0: Beautiful. No, that's beautiful. Well, that actually kind of captured my last question. uh, All right know what kind of keeps you hopeful engaged um yeah thank you so much for for this conversation for the work that you do and um and for continuing to uh call churches with all their messiness and and all their complexity into the public square we appreciate Mm -hmm. having you with us
1: yeah i love doing it thanks nick this was fun
0: Jeremy's doubts about the church's desire and ability to imagine a new possibility may be well-founded, especially in an age of anxiety where the narrative about the church is one of decline and irrelevance. The tendency to cling to the safety and security of what was is strong. For me, his questions also serve as a challenge to those of us who continue to value and invest in the neighborhood church. Will we practice the domestication of an institution obsessed with its own survival? Or will we embody that liberation made real in our baptism and imagine new possibilities for what it means to be church in the neighborhood and to see Christ in our neighbor? I pray it will be the latter. I'm grateful to Jeremy for this conversation, for his work in the academy and the life of the church, and for raising important questions for those of us who find a home within the neighborhood congregation. Thanks for listening, and peace be with you. Thanks for listening to At The Table, Christian community for the common good. If you've appreciated this conversation, be sure to subscribe to receive updates on new episodes and share this podcast with friends and colleagues. You can also keep up to date by visiting my website, NicholasTangan.com. Thanks for listening and peace be with you.